Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Let's go behind the mask. Yes, yes, yes. We are back for another special edition. Every edition is special. Every edition is special on Behind the Mask podcast, but this one is special. We have a good friend of ours. He came by, stopped by the studio, and he said, Spice, you know what? I want to bless you with your presence, you and Tuton. So I want y'all to make sure you give it up and make sure you turn the radio up a little bit more because my good friend, our good friend, Champ Bailey Hall of Famer, is in the building. <laughs> the champ is here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I wasn't expecting it. Appreciate you. <laughs> champ, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm just living, you know, just we on the other side now, you know, no more football. I'm just living, man. I love it. Do you miss the game? Miss? Do you miss playing? No. That's the number one question I get all the do time. Do I miss playing the game? No. I don't miss playing the game. I miss competing. I miss you know, the locker room, you know, I miss the paychecks, you know, I miss all, <laughs> all the good stuff, you know, I don't, is good I don't miss yeah. that pain. I don't miss Monday mornings, Tuesdays. I mean, I don't miss that. Yeah, man, it's, you put in a lot of work and I would be remiss if I didn't even mention this because I have to, this is you, this is your makeup. This is the commitment of Champ Bailey, 12 time pro bowler. Mm. Seven-time All-Pro. Seven-time. Led the NFL in interceptions in 2006. Um, On the Denver Broncos' 50th anniversary team. Um, Going back to college, consensus All-American. You did everything. (laughs) Nagurski Award, Trophy Award winner. But most recently, the Pro Football Hall of Fame Class of 2019. We want to congratulate Say congratulations to you on that honor. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Big time honor, man. And um, it seems so surreal. I came up there to support you during your uh, induction. Thank you. Um, How how does it feel? I mean, I know it feels great, but now that you're after the induction, how has life been compared to previously? It's definitely different. You know, uh, being in Georgia, I always got a few pats on the back. Old dogs here and there, but now it's the other fans, you know, from other schools. You know, I get more Auburn Tigers, you know, come up to me. <laughs> but that's all right. We yeah, love you too. I, I make them say go dogs from time to time, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, you love it. Uh, you know, things like that. You know, it's different. You know, I'm, uh, I've accomplished something I, I would assume every football player looks to want to accomplish on Good. some level. At least I think uh, all of us dream about it. And, you know, I've been dreaming about it a long time and to see it come to fruition, it's it's an amazing feeling. It's it's funny before that weekend, I, you know, I would ask all the Hall of Famers, like everyone I talk to, man, what do I expect? You know, this and that. And they just shake their heads speechless because it's, it's just one of those moments, man. You just can't explain what that's like yeah. unless you live it. And that collection of moments that weekend leading up to, you know, my speech, it was it was amazing. So when you were you from Kentucky, right? Um, made it to UGA to play ball. Did you, as a kid, you know we all have dreams and and, and aspirations, things we want to do when we when we grow up. 
did you know that football was it for you? And did you ever think that you would actually become immortalized in the Hall of Fame? Well, no, not very early. But when I say very early, I mean before I touched the football. Yeah. Now, before I touched the football, I saw my brother play. Mm-hmm. And he's three years older, my brother Ron. And, you know, my dad also played. So I had examples in the house. And football was always something we'd watch, you know, something we play outside. So it was, it was sort of a no-brainer that I would try to play. Mm-hmm. Now, how good I'd be, I didn't know. I knew I was good in the neighborhood, but, you know, we put pads and things on. Who knows what's going to happen? But the first time I put on uh, pads and touched the ball, I scored. And I always knew I was fast, but I didn't know how fast. And, you know, just being out there with all the kids I grew up with and out there playing and being one of the best, I mean, I always knew I had a shot. I just had to keep my nose clean and just keep grinding. Were there there obstacles that, you know, was there ever a time that you you thought maybe – this is too much for me. Maybe I'm not going to keep it going. Oh, God, no. Because life was harder than football. You know, Facts. I mean, we we grew up with not much. Mm. One thing we did have was family, you know, growing up next door to my grandmother, you know, on her property, having all my uncles and aunts and everybody. I mean, I grew up in small town, rural South Georgia, town of less than 3,000 people. So everybody knew everybody. And, right. you know, just having that sense of community was what we thrived off of and, I didn't really realize how important that was until I got older, you know, and really could reflect. But that's really how I got to where I am because I had so much support. Nobody let me get off track, you know. There were moments, but nobody really allowed us to do anything wrong. You talk about support, and it really it's a great statement because it leads back into um, my question, what I'm about to ask you. It goes back to your Hall of Fame induction speech. And during your speech— It was very emotional. It was emotional from the fact that you were asking your community, meaning the community of the guys that are inside of that locker room who you spend so much time with day in and day out, more than more than people, more than guys' wives. You spend that much amount of time with those guys. You reached out and you said, you know what, I'm paraphrasing and you can definitely clean it up for me. But it was more so calling an action item to all the white teammates saying, guys, you know our story. You know what we go through. You talk to us every day in the locker rooms. If you don't listen, who will? Yeah, and you you said it best. I mean, these are guys we spend tons of time with. I mean, hours and hours. We watch each other sweat, cry, bleed, everything. And, And for you not to understand my pain or listen, when I try to explain my pain, like, how could you not? How could you not? I mean, you see me fighting out here trying to support my family. Right. But do you really care about me as a man? Like, this this is what I, I'm pouring everything into football. Yeah. So what do you think I'm going to do for my family? I'm going to pour everything to, into them. So you see what I'm about. How could you not listen to me? So, you know, it just it was frustrating. You know, you see everything that happened with Kaepernick and. You know, you see all these other guys trying to be a force and trying to, you know, stand for something bigger than themselves. Right. And then you see a couple white guys kind of turn the blind eye to it. And, you know, it's frustrating because it's like we're not saying these guys are not saying that they struggle. They're saying people that look like them struggle, struggle. you know, so it's bigger than themselves. And I'm thinking, okay, why can't you be bigger than yourself and support that cause? You know, 
you know, it rubbed people the wrong way, and some people get control of the narrative and just trying to change, change it. it. Mm-hmm. And it's try to, you know, steer you in the wrong direction, just tell you how, you know, disobedient or inappropriate it is to take a knee or stand for something bigger than yourself. I mean, it's it's unfortunate that we live in a world like that, but, you know, the media has a way of doing that to people. And, you know what, I I, I just keep going back to, okay, I got to touch the people close to me mm-hmm. because if I can't get them, then, man, it's going to be a struggle trying to get anybody else. Yeah, no doubt. That's amazing, man. And I think... You've obviously always been a leader in in your locker room from from UGA. We played against each other. I, I mentioned that a little bit earlier. <laughs> um, as a leader, what are some of the things that you decided to do or, or that you tried to do to pay it forward to other guys in your locker room? You know, were you, were you the lead by example type? Were you the rah rah type? I, mean, I, <laughs> I was not the rah rah type <laughs> at all. I was not that guy, but I did take pride in lead by example. That was. That was something I said. If I if I'm not gonna sit up here and just and try to get these guys hype, I'm gonna at least show them how to practice. Yeah. You know, just lead by example means more than anything because I've had rah rah guys that just didn't go. They didn't even show up in practice. Yeah. You know, so it's like, what good is it say to yell, uh, do the yell, and then you don't do anything yeah. and back it up? So I tried to be that type of example, and you know, the only way I give back and lead is just my availability to mm-hmm. the young guys, mm-hmm. always just being available. I'm like that now. I think I'm more like that now than I, when I played because I feel like football comes a little easier to most guys. You know, it, you have guys that struggle. Everybody's not going to make the team, but, you know, you're at the elite of the elite. Mm. Life is probably harder than football. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. <laughs> Especially after you leave the game. So I feel like I'm more important as a leader now than when I played the game. Huh. When you talk about leadership, I go back to when you were drafted to the Skins and – um, you look at that, you came into a locker room crazy now with two Hall of Famers, yeah. Primetime and Daryl Green. Well, yeah. Dion came my second year. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, but but we, I mean, we had we had more than two Hall of Fame. We had Bruce, Bruce Smith. Smith. Yeah. Oh I mean, God. just in I the mean, secondary. That, that, yeah. Just in the secondary. Yeah. So I'm just thinking like from a knowledge aspect, you know, you coming in, you all everything. Running back mm-hmm. was your first position when you first even <laughs> learned about the game of football. We talked about it before. Uh, most people can come in and be like, you know what? These guys are kind of past their prime. And just say, I'm going to do it my way since I saw both of you guys, both of your games, and y'all did it a different way. It's easy for a young pup to come in and say, you know what? I'm going to do it my way and show them I can be just as good or even better. Why did you decide to take the route that you did? Well, I think that was just my personality. I mean, I always took a humble approach to the game. I mean, the game has a way of humbling you if you if you get out there too cocky, too arrogant, and not taking care of your business. So what would it be like if I walk into a locker room with a first ballot Hall of Famer, two-time Super Bowl champion, mm. and not listen? Yeah. <laughs> what, what would that be? I mean, he's already a, a first. You either a pump fool or you a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Damn right. And I, and I made sure, you know, I took every little nugget he gave me and ran with it. We were two totally different type of players, but our coach at the time, he allowed Daryl Green to just take me to the side. I mean, yeah. every every day we were one-on-one, and he was teaching me everything about playing corner. Now, one thing I, I was impressed by, and I actually use these tools day, today when I teach kids from time to time, every, every corner is different. And Daryl Green used to use this phrase that, you know, you can't make a corner. Corners are born. 
Like, the great ones are. Yeah. I mean, you could throw somebody out there who could play receiver and couldn't catch, but corners are born, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, the great ones are born. Like, you can't teach. I played different from Dion. I played different from Daryl. Mm-hmm. But we were all first ballot Hall of Famers. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there's so many ways you could do it. Once he learned how I played and how I felt comfortable on the field and, you know, what I was good at, that's how he tailored my game and tried to teach me. Daryl. Yeah. He didn't care about what he did great. He was trying to figure out what I was good at. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. So Listen, I love it. Because yeah. the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm moving over here and I'm getting heated right now, because you have coaches who are paid to come in right. and, and to teach you. And they do. They try to teach you like they saw somebody else play the game, and they don't understand. So it is baffling to me. People say, "Well, the pros. When you get to the NFL, that's the best of the best." Yeah, I mean, listen, it is somewhat to a degree, but I have a problem with. I know I'm going off on a rampant right no, now. No, no, go I'm give it to him. Okay. Give it to him. I'm tired of these coaches, man. They don't know how to adjust. Yeah, they coach as if they're walk as they on the grease board. Mm. Right. And then they just, this X is going to do this and that, so you do this and do that technique. I hate it, man. So I really commend Daryl Green for that, yeah. being able to show you that and teach you and tailor it to your athletic Well, it, it goes back to time. And and I think this is what coaches struggle with a lot, too, is they don't have time to do that. You know, they don't really have time to do it. So they get pigeonholed into this little one way of doing it. Okay, we're going to get the X's and, O's out, X's and O's on the board, but I'm not going to teach them about technique. And how to do this or that. Right. If you've never played corner, you probably don't know how to coach it. (laughs) But you know how to tell me to get lined up. Mm -hmm. So it's up to some veterans or somebody or some coach you had in the offseason to teach you how to play. Mm -hmm. Like technically sound. And you don't have that unless you spend more money and more time. It's just more money, more time to really learn how to play corner. It's it's a unique position. I mean, you're doing everything backwards. Yeah, that's a fact. I mean... How many coach? Most of my coaches were white. I mean, I don't see a lot of white corners running around here, so I don't assume they play. You know, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's real. You know, that's time. just it is what it is. Yeah, I it mean, is what it is. So I was lucky to have two Hall of Famers yeah. in my first two years. Lucky. So how, how was that that meeting room? I mean, I know you're competitive. Dion obviously is. Daryl Green. All you guys were fast. Four two, four three guys. You ever came out and say, yo, I know I'm, I'm the young pup, but I'm faster than all of y'all out there? I mean, well, like, they talked a lot I of know trash they talk a lot and of still do, right? <laughs> so they they would never they would never get on the line. Let's just say that. No. <laughs> they, 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 would, they talk a good game, they, but they what, wouldn't get on the line. What would have happened if they look, got on the line with you? Man, come on. I was <laughs> I was 22 years old, a track guy, yeah. just like them. Yeah. And they're old. <laughs> <laughs> 35 and up, nah, there's no way I'm going to let a 35-year-old man beat me and run it. It's just not going to happen, you know? I'm I'm fast, I'm confident, there's no way they would have beat me, but they would never line up. I, I want to go back to this because I want to make sure um, I like clear understanding. So when you when Dion was there, he came your second year, Daryl was already there. Uh, how willing were they to be able to give you – to give you the information. I know you said Daryl was. Well, what about Prime? What are some of the things that you and Prime would talk about or some of the things y'all would do to create that bonding moment or even just giving out information that 
you know what? I know I can give this to you to make you that much better. You know, it was unique. It was really interesting, you know, because I didn't know what to expect. I, I swear, when they signed Dion, I'm like, man, I'm third corner now. Hey, you know, we, we don't. That's how much respect. That's why we. That's how much it. respect I had for them. Yeah. But coach definitely made sure he called me. Like, no, you still starting. You know, we'll figure out who's gonna be coming off the bench. But you know, I, I ended up starting, and uh, you know, when Dion came in, I'm more built like Dion. Than Daryl, you know, mm-hmm. same size, you know, same height, same type of play. Love playing at the line, getting our hands on people. So I'm thinking, you know, I would learn a lot more from him. But really, he he saw what Daryl was teaching me, and he would just add something, mm-hmm. and he just add something because I know if you ever watch Dion highlights, he would get in his motorcycle stance, right, where he's it's really an intim- intimidation factor. So. He would cock his legs back like he's about to run a 40 or something. But what people don't understand, he always comes back to being square. Like, that was just, that was just, now sometimes he would go after a guy, you know, a slow guy. Yeah. You, know, you don't do that think, to a fast guy. I think of Bad Moon Rising when yeah. they got into mm-hmm. the, you know what right. I mean? When right. I was fighting. Yep. Yeah. But see, one thing about Dion, he always knew where he survived, and that was just staying square. You know, this technique stuff. Mm. All the other stuff he was doing just to intimidate you, all the antics. It's just mind games, yeah. you know, but yeah. So, you know, I, I took a few pieces of that, but he will always go back to what Daryl was teaching me because everything was about your feet, your feet, your feet, man. I don't care if you can get your hands on anybody. I don't care if you never touch anybody. doesn't matter because if your feet are off, everything's off. Right. So That's true. I thrived off that. Daryl, he was the type, he was small. So he tried to stay away from everybody. Yeah, he just, yeah. he just wanted to shadow people. He didn't want to t- nobody to touch him. And he's, he, I mean, became a first battle Hall of Famer off that. Mm-hmm. But Dion was a touch him. You know, I got to get my hands on him. But he also understood the foot, the, the yeah. feet factor in the whole thing. Yeah. So it was just two different ways of learning. And I just took everything. Because Dion, he would just say something like, yeah, yeah, just always think about your feet, though. You know, always think about your feet. He would always reiterate what Daryl was saying for the past two years. It was Man, you you have no idea how blessed I was. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting all this stuff. I'm just a young kid, oh, but I was soaking it up, though. Yeah, yeah. You talk about the technique of that game and that position is definitely one of the, the, the harder positions to play on the field. You're right. on that island, right? You came in the league, and I, I call it the era, the golden age of wide receivers. Right. You know, you have uh, some of the greatest of all time that have played in that time span. You got your Jerry Rices, your Randy Moss, Larry Fitzgerald, Steve Smith, Marvin Harrison. The list goes on oh, and on wow. and on. You Eric Moles. Eric Moles. Oh, yeah. You had to go against these guys week in and week out. Did you? What was your motivation? What got you going to say each week, I got to strap it up and I got to make sure I don't get burnt by one of these all-time greats? Well, I had a lot of confidence. I I don't think I lacked that. I think uh, what really superseded that was my accountability just to my guys. You know, one thing I hated was coming back on Monday and watching that tape, and I didn't have a good game. Mm -hmm. So that meant everything. I can't sit in that room and be the guy that caused us to lose a game. That's that's, that's almost equivalent to... Like, when you know you did something wrong at home and you say how the community raised you. Yeah. You won't get your ass towed up at the neighbor's house. And when there you, you go home, you won't get your ass towed that's up right. again. That's right. Everybody had a right to discipline you. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of how it is in locker room. You know, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's going to come down on you. They Either they're going to talk to you bad or they're not going to talk to you at you all. <laughs> you know, so yeah. you get in those moments. I mean, we've all had bad games, but 
you know, you can't have them consistently. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we have our times to redeem ourselves, but my accountability was everything. That, that was just, that was something I lived by then and I still live by. Well, you talk about playing in the golden age with all of the receivers. Like, you played, you, like, damn good receivers. Yeah. I'm going to ask you <laughs> the, the, the plain out question that everybody wants to know. Who did you think were, was better out of T.O. and Randy Moss? Whoa. Uh, I'm going to say Randy by slight edge. And I know they presented different challenges. That's, so and maybe that's, that's the question. I think Randy's, uh, his biggest strength was probably scarier than T.O.'s biggest strength, which is that deep ball, you know, that speed. But T.O. was a, he was a beast. Because one thing about T.O., you don't find guys that big that can run so hard and run fast and, I mean, break tackles. He was hungry. I mean, that dude was – I mean, that's that's what I say about what's different, you know, with some of the guys now is that T.O., even though he had all this stuff that he would do in the media, he was always on that field. Oh, no know, question. Always on that field. And ready and he, to eat you alive, too. Yeah, and we we all know he should have been a first Battle Hall of Famer, but yeah, hands down. I mean, that dude, that dude was a beast. Wait, so – Deep ball. Let's talk about deep ball. Right. When you look at T.O., you look at Moss, you mentioned Moss, you like Moss with the deep ball. Was it the fact that he could run or was it the fact that he could just moss you? Or was it both? It was It was a little bit of both. You know, fortunate enough for me, I, I caught him at a time when he was a little older. He didn't have a great quarterback, <laughs> you know, so I didn't have to worry as much as, you know, early in his career because he was dominating everybody. And... Shout out to Dante Culpepper. <laughs> that was a silent oh, shout. Oh, you better believe it. Yeah, that was, they were a mess, and I never had to deal with that. But you know, it's it's Mossa set you up. Like he he'll come out run a curl, he'll come out he'll run a nice little dig, get down on the ground. The next thing you know, he does he does the same moves, and he's five yards past you. Mm. He did that to me a few times, but fortunate enough for me, he didn't have a good quarterback, <laughs> and they didn't get him the ball. So. <laughs> I never had a chance of getting mossed. Thank oh, God. You know, the game's changed so much, and we're kind of dating ourselves here, but the physicality of the game when you came in the league, you talked about with you and Dion, you were able to jam the receivers. If a receiver comes across the middle on a little shallow drag, you can, you know, nudge them real quick. You can't do that nowadays. I was just talking to somebody yesterday, and when we came into the league, if a quarterback underthrew a pass, it was, a, it was an underthrow. It was called a bad ball. Now they call it a back shoulder throw. Yeah. So how do you think you can? Do you think you can? You know, five yards short, and they call it oh, it's a great pass. Nah, that's an underthrow. Do you think you could have adjusted to the way the game is being played today? Well, since I'd never be out there to prove it, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, I could do it. I, it still goes back to technique. You know, yeah. now it's just I feel like guys get so. I, I would say frustrated mm. with every little throw that comes at them and gets caught. I think now you have to be a little bit more patient, you know, not worrying about that 12-yard curl and that short route that goes across the field. Just tackle, get up. I mean, because one thing's for sure, you're going to make your plays when your boys up front get going. That's really how what you have to rely on more. That's why pass rushers are such a premium now mm. because the quarterbacks are being so protected. It's like you got to go disrupt the quarterback if you want to make plays on the back end. So it's just another level of patience. I mean, we mm-hmm. dealt with it, but, you know, we could, yeah, bump and run down the field a little yeah, bit more, yeah. which made it a little better. 
out of all of the defensive coordinators you played for, um, which which system did you like best that you felt like it really highlighted your skills as a player? Uh, I'd probably say Larry Coyer, probably because when I got to Denver, I was allowed to do a lot, do what I do. Yeah. So I could dictate a lot of what we did on defense just because I was – I mean, I was good at what I did. Plus, you know, I, I just, I just, I don't know. I just had this thing where he just allowed me to be free. And, you know, he trusted me. Was and that like man, a lot of man to man or yeah, a just lot of man. zone the field off on this side? But I, I was able, won't... yeah, I was able to match up. I mean, I was able to play free. I think that was most important. I wanted to match up. I always wanted the number one guy because if that guy scores it, I always feel like that's my fault. You know what I mean? I, don't, I mean, even if I'm not on him, it's like, why am I not on him? I mean, you know, that's why you brought me here. Competitive so, drive. Right. Sure. So, you know, I just always wanted to be on the top guy, and he allowed that. And then, you know, he allowed me to, you know, input on the defensive strategy for the week. So little things like that, you know, really, I, I would say set him apart from the rest because, I, you know, most of the time I'm just going to be a student and just sit back and learn and, you know, the X's and O's because that's one thing I learned throughout – no, none of those coaches could teach me really how to play corner, but they the X's and O's is something I wanted to learn more and more. So, how I'm glad you talked about the X's and O's because the mental <clears throat> side of the game, right. athletically, listen, God gave everything to you. Yeah. So, at what point did that did that come into manifestation for you to see? I know I can do it athletically, but I took my game to another level because. I, I dabbled into the mental aspect of how to win. I think it happens without me even thinking of it because mm-hmm. it doesn't just start when you get to the league. I mean, this this is something you develop throughout <clears throat> throughout all your trials and tribulations on the field. Like all your mistakes, all that experience develops the mindset that it takes to be great. I mean, you're gonna have problems. How quick do you get over it? Get through it and go on to the next play. I mean, that's that's crucial. And your mindset is every. We play with some great. I played with some athletes in high school that were just as good as I was, but they just didn't have the mindset to take them to the next level, you know. So they couldn't worry. They couldn't not worry about that bad play they had last week. It's like, why are you dwelling on that? I mean, what about the play in front of you? So mm-hmm. if you don't develop that mindset, that short term memory, I mean, you're not gonna be a great or special player. I mean, you just your mentality is everything. I mean, the confidence, you get that from your mentality, how you approach the game, the work you put in all week. I mean, that prep- knowing that you got to prepare to be great, like, it don't just happen. You got to put the work in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's just the way I was. It wasn't never a moment. It was just a process. You want what you want when you want it. Listen, I'm the same way, but when you mentioned process, it really took me back to being committed to the process in order to get – to where you want to go. Talk more about what what do you mean by the process as far as going through what you had to go through to, to learn and accumulate everything what you have now? Well, I, I just think uh, it, there's no such thing as those good things just come easy. They just don't. You know, when, you, when you're trying to fight for something big, there's some things you got to go through. I mean, whether that's practicing or preparing for, for the SAT or whatever it is, there's, there's steps to take. There's a grind you got to go through, especially if it's worth it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing going to come easy. So there's always got to be a process to everything. And if you think that there's going to be something quick that's good, it's not. It's just it's not realistic. 
else everybody would be living good. You know, it's not that easy. So I just think it's, it, the sooner you learn to embrace the process, embrace the grind, enjoy it, and be prepared for whatever life has to throw at you, the better off you're going to be. Mm. How did you adjust, and, and you talk about quick and good. You were quick and you were damn good. <laughs> you were the exception to the rule. How did you adjust that that uh, that uh rookie year? I mean, you know, you, you talk, we had a little bit more of the, the hazing back in the days or, or, the, or the, the rookie dinners. You were first round pick, so I know they hit you over the head with that, Bill. Talk about talk about what that rookie dinner was like, man. It, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> it wasn't you know, bad. I'm man. telling you, you why. You had some lame vets. Yeah, you know. supposed to hit you over the head with that, Bill. Who else can I had, I had a great I had a great vet. Daryl Green controlled everything. You got to understand, like, I didn't have a, uh, I didn't have a, uh, how do I, I didn't have the common locker room that I walked into. My meeting room with, with him in the room was different from any meeting room you could imagine around the league because who else has a first ballot Hall of Famer in their meeting room that's there every day that has a respect, two-time Super Bowl champion with that franchise. So there's no dynamic greater than that. So whatever he dictated, that's what happened. Mm. So he didn't allow things to get out of hand. I mean, guys were messing with me and have me carry pads and sing on the on the drop of the dime. What, song, you know, what song did you sing? I don't even remember. Uh, <laughs> probably some Marvin Gaye or some shit like that. You know, it was some something I could just sing right then. Yeah. You know, so it was moments like that what happened, but that's all in fun, you know, mm. so it's not that bad. You know, there was no tying me up to a tree or none of that. Yeah, they, did they make post. you go get donuts or anything like that? Oh, yeah. Bre- breakfast? Breakfast. Man. Yeah, all that. I mean, but Every that day? was... That's the... I mean, uh, no, there was a... Saturdays, right? I think it was Saturdays. Yeah, Saturdays. Of, yeah, Saturday <coughs> morning. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly that. when it was. And, you know, that tradition still stands today. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the good ones, but... Not, nothing major. Like I said, Daryl Green controlled everything, man. I, I bucked the system. Spike's laughing because I told him this story. I bucked the system. I'm, okay, I'm, explain. I'm, I'm, I'm from New York, and, you know, I, I, I'm thinking I'm a thug. I had cornbraids, and my man Darren Howard used to play with us. He said, hey, corn man, rolls or corn, corn braids? Corn, corn rolls. Probably yeah. the same thing. Same thing, man. I'm going to be that New York stereotype. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> Damn, New York. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thugged out and all of this. And then my man D. Howard said, man, how you going to be a thug and you got dimples? Oh, no. <laughs> you ain't scaring nobody. No. <laughs> so, they used to kill me, but they sent me to the store for uh for, for donuts, and they told me, they said, okay, when you come in here before the meeting, you're not playing, you got to come in and bring warm Krispy Kreme and cold milk, right, before the before Saturday. Before, so I was like, all right, cool, I can handle that. But I was running late one day, so I left, the, I'm in New Orleans, I left the, the, the donuts in the car and the milk in the car, so I had to run to the special teams meeting so I wouldn't be late. By the time I get out the special teams meeting to bring it back to the old line room, I got cold Krispy Kreme and warm milk. Oh. <laughs> man, they tore me apart, man. They like, man, you know what? Run back to the store and get us some more donuts. I'm like, I ain't doing that. We watching film. My man Wally Williams, you ain't playing no way. <laughs> Gave it to me. So I'm looking at the coach like, get I can't your leave. Sorry ass and coach is like, stuff. nah, you got to go. And I got Willie Rofe, Kyle oh my Turley, God. Chris Mignoli. Oh. I got these vests. No, so the that, Hall that, of Famer in the Hall of Famer's in the room. So this is what I'm going against. So they 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 shot me down in terms of my bravado, my confidence. Because I'm yeah. again, I'm from New York. You ain't gonna punk me. But so what co- you what you give to him? What you do? I had to go back and get some breakfast biscuits from McDonald's. You better believe Krispy <laughs> Kreme. Look, like was all. <laughs> you don't mess with the big boys' food, man. You, oh, you man. just cannot. They're they're the most sensitive and gentle giants <laughs> in the world. <laughs> They love their food. Right. They don't Dude, mess man. around. So the vets ain't give you no 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 hard times. Look, like we, that, man. we're little guys. You, you know? had it easy, man. Yeah, I did. I mean, I I played 
Like big guys would try to tease me, but Daryl Green wouldn't let him. Nice. You know, it was I was Respect. protected. I was That's protected, dope. man. That was dope. They needed me on Sunday. <laughs> you know? nah, they didn't need me because I was playing. <laughs> See, exactly. So they gonna man, they gonna, <laughs> nah, they gonna I, put you through the ringer. Yeah. You better believe. I tell you this though. No, I had a a donut story because it was every Saturday. Mm. I had to show up with the donuts. I still remember this. I was center. Derek Brills. He was like. This this is him now. This is how he talks. I'm a rookie. Cincinnati. He was like, hey, me and you will forever get along under one condition. And I was like, what's up? Make sure you bring them goddamn donuts. <laughs> and them donuts need to be there, and we need cold milk. Yep, yep. That's lying. Like, and Lime in my me. mind, I'm thinking, like, that's it? Like, of course. I'm like, yeah, I got you, man. You're like, you know, Cool. So first two weeks, I right, I'm timing it. I'm way mm. early, way early. But it's cool though, you know. But when you're a youngster, you think, man, I'm coming too early. I could have got five, ten more <laughs> minutes of sleep. So my dumb ass don't sit up here and say, all right, let me hit the snooze button. Woke up late, and I was like, man, if I'm late, they don't find me twenty five hundred dollars, and I ain't giving them folks no twenty five hundred. I'm twenty five hundred, twenty five hundred. So. I run into the locker room and I was like, fuck, that donut. <laughs> Man, Derek Brills was right there waiting. He was like, hey, Rook, where are the fucking donuts? <laughs> I can eat. Hey, I just looked at it, man, and all the offensive linemen were standing just looking like, and Big Willie Anderson. Hey man, come on, Spike. You from Auburn, man. You supposed to have a goddamn donut, man. <laughs> just like so I'm, I'm just like, dog. That was you talk about being in meeting rooms where you retire, like where you be like, oh, I can't watch this game film on Monday because yeah. I played bad. That was that was a fault, yeah. and they didn't even talk to me for a whole That's week until yeah. I had to redeem myself. I got them. I got them boys. I got them three cases of donuts instead of like one <laughs> for their room. For real, straight up though. So I understand what you mean. Hey, don't mess with those big boys and their food, man. Nah, you, you can't mess with their food. Did you ever flip the script when you were a veteran? How did you treat the rookies that came in? Did you do the same thing that, you know, you showed the love that uh, Daryl Green showed to you or were you kind of a little bit more hard on them? Nah, to a certain extent. Nah. I mean, you got to earn that respect, right? For sure, for sure. So <laughs> we had some rookies that, you know, try to push it a little yeah. bit. I never forget Fred Smooth. Smooth, one of, yeah, Smooth. Okay, so tell us about Fred Smooth. <laughs> I'm in my third year, and going out of Mississippi State, mm-hmm. they're just going around to the rookies, like telling them what they supposed to do. Okay, you got to sing, you bring the donuts or whatever, whatever we were talking about at the time. They got the Smooth, and Smooth was like, "No, nah, I'm gonna take the physical challenge." Like, oh. what does that mean? Like, what? <laughs> oh, so he making I'm up ta- his making own rule? Yeah, he's like, no, I'm taking the physical challenge. Like, <laughs> all right, Smooth, what the, all you got to do like, is... I'm about to put these hands I ain't on sing- y'all ass. No, he's singing and talking and running his mouth all day anyway. Yeah, anyway. But when we tell him to do it, he don't want to do it. So he's like, no, nah, I'm taking the physical challenge, okay? So, of course, what they did, they got his clothes, put them in the, in the freezer. In the cold well, tub. put them in the cold yeah. tub, put them in the bag, put them in the freezer. <laughs> Right? Clothes that he wore to work. That's right. <laughs> Took his keys, tied him up to the goalposts. I mean, with Got tape. Him. And guess what he doing? Still talking. <laughs> I mean, it was I'm like, well, if that don't work, then what's gonna, work? gonna work? Because yeah. we can't really truly haze it. Right, you know what right. I mean? So I mean that that dude was special. Yeah, I'm telling was, you. Man. Still talks. 
I think he's on the radio to somewhere to this day. To this right? day, yeah. He go at it. <laughs> That's my guy, though. Love him to death, man. But damn, he was a bad rookie. He was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do anything for us. Oh, man. Hey, we fast forward. You know, the trade happened. Played well in both places, everywhere you've been. And when you look at at the end of your career, the opportunity to – I still thought – how many years did you end up playing? Fifteen. Fifteen. I still felt like you could have went maybe three more years. I think at least three. So you didn't feel my feet, huh? <laughs> no, no, I didn't, I, I didn't feel him. I didn't feel Patrick Ooh. Willis' feet either. He damn retired. Yeah. And I saw it and Ooh. I thought it was a misprint on TV. Yeah. But um, I mm. guess my point is, is that when you look at other players, you look at like Charles Woodson, you look at a Rod Woodson that probably could have, but they extended their careers by playing another position. Right. You chose not to. Every snap you play at corner, uh, why did you choose to retire? Um, even though a lot of fans, including myself, looked at you like, you know what, Champ probably could have got a few more years if he would have went to safety. I think it was timing. You know, just it just never felt like the right time to do it. For one, I, I wasn't ever going to press the issue because safeties make way less than corners. <laughs> so from a business point of view, hell no, that's not a good idea. But I also was playing at a high level at corner until I got hurt. And then why would I make that change? Why would I initiate something that nobody's talking about? Everybody's like thinks they could see the future. Right. I mean, like it just seems like I should have, right? But no. I mean, I, I was I felt like I was still an elite corner up until I got hurt. And why would I why would I take a step back and go to safety? I mean, it could have been a more proactive thing, but I still got 15 years at corner. I, I just never saw a need to do it. And by the time I got to the point where it probably would have made sense, I was done. I was mentally checked out. Like physically, I probably could have kept playing, but mentally, no. Did you ever feel, and, and I think you were with the, the Saints the, the last uh, year, correct? In the uh, offseason yeah. or something like that? Yeah. So now you know you got a Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees. One right. of the things that Spikes and I always talk about is that ever-elusive Super Bowl ring. Now, mm -hmm. you, I'm pretty sure you thought, you know what, I might have an opportunity to, to switch positions and go after that ring because we all want one. I mean, every player that plays wants one. Did that ever come into your mind as to, you know, I, I'll stick it out just one more time to chase this ring or you just? No, nah, I, I never let that dictate anything at the end because, you know, I was dealing with my health, you mm -hmm. know, so that always was in the top of my mind is can I play? And I tried to play corner because I was competing for a starting spot in training camp. So, I mean, nobody proposed going to safety. Nobody saw me as a safety. Every coach or GM I played for, they all talk, always talked about corner. So I wasn't going to talk myself out of being a corner. You know, so I just that's just when my bread's been buttered, why I do something different. The ring part, I, I mean, yeah, it would have been nice to get a ring, but I, I don't dwell on that. You know, I mean, it's a team game, so... And I know I put everything I had out there. Right. Yeah. So I could live with that. So that's just a good point because uh, me too, I played 15 years and I was chasing that ring. Mm -hmm. I'm talking, I was chasing that. that right. I was chasing that, that. I can, I'm, listen, I'm getting passionate about it now. <laughs> and, um, and I never could catch it. Never could get on a, a team that could quite take me there. Um, how hard was it seeing 
when Peyton came into Denver and you're gone now, um, seeing those guys earn an opportunity to, to get that championship ring? Well, I had an opportunity just like they did. We just didn't, we didn't take advantage of it. And I think people forget. I, I like when I, I don't reflect because I'm I'm an optimist, so I don't I don't reflect on this until after the fact. But I'm thinking about going into that game, man. We were losing. We lost so many players on defense. You know, you can't win anything without defense. Yeah. Like you got to have a defense. I don't care have to who you are. I don't care how good your offense is. Your defense ain't good. You ain't going nowhere. So we lost Von Miller that year. Chris Harris, uh, Derek Wolf, Kevin Vickerson. And a couple more that I probably forgot about. I mean, but those were all four starters on all levels of the defense. <laughs> now, I look back, I'm like, how in the hell did we even have a chance? How did we get to the Super Bowl without those guys? I mean, it was really because our offense, but we didn't win a championship. You only do that with good defense. And right. if, if I could have reflected the way I, I have after the fact, I would have probably went into that game thinking we didn't have a shot, mm. you know, because that defense we played was probably one of the best ever. In Seattle, I mean, they had one of the best ever defenses, Legion of Boom. I mean, they they were really legit. Yeah, they and that's were. why they won. I mean, their offense played great too. They put up forty points, but their defense scored. They scored on special teams. I mean, it, it was a it was chaos. Mm. But you know, in all your fifteen I, years playing, I'm sorry, guy. Yeah, but I have no hard feelings that they won. I still yeah. cheer for them. Those my my boys out there. Right. You know? No, I mean, I want them to win one. I'm glad they did. Yeah. In all your fifteen years of playing. Uh, all decade for the 2000s, amazing feat. That means you were revered as one of the best or the best two quarter cornerbacks in a decade as heavy. Who was the other defensive back or cornerback that you actually watched? And did you ever feel like, you know what, there's a little competition here where I know this guy's doing his thing. After, you know, your game is over, you're watching the highlights, you say, oh, he's doing his thing. I got to one-up him. I got to, you know, keep keep doing my thing to make sure I still am the best. Well, it, there was a, a a good bit of corners that were considered pretty good. I mean, uh, Aaron Glenn was one. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam Madison, uh, Pat Sertan. Uh, oh, there's, uh, obviously, Prime was good, but he was getting a little older. Uh, Troy Vincent. Mm -hmm. So those guys were kind of mainstays. Bobby Taylor. I mean, they, they were like some of the elite corners at the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm always looking at them as the bar. Like, okay, I got to play better than these guys. Yeah. And, you know, I I mean, I just put the work in and, and went for it. But, you know, those are the guys that kind of, like, set the tone. I mean, like Troy Vincent, I, I remember going to my first Pro Bowl, and he's there, you know. So just picking his brain at the Pro Bowl. It's little things like that, man, mean, meant so much because even though we out there competing, trying to one-up each other, we all had this brotherhood once we get to the Pro Bowl, you know. So it was it was it was surreal, you know, when I think about it now because those guys, I mean, now they look at me like I was the standard, you yeah. know. Like I just ran into Sam Madison about a month ago and he's like, Boy, I admire your game. And I'm like, man, you have no idea. Like you motivated me. Like you were one of those guys that pushed me to be what I was. So, I mean, I thank them for that. And I mean, looking back, I'm just glad we can all talk about it, laugh about it, and and talk about the good times and the and the people we dominated, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's a good feeling. When you look at, you had a lot of success in every place that you've been. Like, individual success, like you were a baller. Uh, some teams that you were a part of, unfortunately, they were not good football teams. 
Um, I went through that a lot throughout my 15-year career. Most of, pretty much damn near all of it now that I think about it. <laughs> you yeah, know yeah I mean? we, know, we know where you started. We, <laughs> yeah, we know, man. We know. Goodness, that was like Beirut in that piece of Cincinnati. <laughs> mm. Anyway, my question is to you, though, because people ask me all the time, and I want to ask you, like, how hard was it to stay motivated when you went through those bad times, team-wise, collectively? You know, when it was just so easy to be like, well, as long as I do what I do, then I'm good. But we all know at the end of the day, going back to your statement earlier, it's all about community. Yeah. And your community is that locker room. So how hard was it staying motivated, uh, focused, knowing you going out playing with the purpose versus you seen a lot of guys who probably they were on your team, like they're on every team, who just come to get the check yeah. and just get through? Well, like you said, it's hard. You know, those those bad games, those bad seasons, I mean, it, I mean, it takes a toll on you. But I've, I've never won a championship in football. And I've been on some bad teams. So what I always wanted to make sure I did was take care of my business. You know, take care of my business because when I look back, I want to say, did I give it my all? But then after a while, it became frustrating because I always felt like I, I got to do more for my guys. You know, I got to pull these guys along. I questioned my leadership. It, it always came back to me. Am I doing enough? You right. know, it, it never, I never wanted to point fingers at anybody else. It was just, am I doing enough? Can I lead better? Can I do this? So it was just, that's the type of things that kind of got in my mind, you know, about, you know, am I leading the right way once I became a vet? Mm -hmm. But other than that, I didn't really dwell on any players or anybody playing bad. It was just, how can I help them play better? Because if they don't play great, I always said, if, you, if your weakest guys on the team don't play great, you're not going to be a good team. They have to be good players. And, you know, that's what I always try to focus on, like these special team guys that come in. You know, all you gonna, I tell them right away, you, all you're going to do is play special teams. But when somebody get hurt, you better be ready. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you want to play away. What? One play. And, and I saw that happen from time and time again. And they, a lot of them weren't ready. And it's like, did I do enough to help them get ready? You know, so it always... I always look at the guy in the mirror as the one that needs to do something better or do something different. I never try to point fingers. How did you block that out, though? I, you know, you say you're an optimist. So I guess my question is, like, since you're optimistic about so many things and it's so the culture could have been bad around that time, mm -hmm. how did you continue to push that off and keep that same mindset to make you be successful? Like, well, what are some of the things you used to do? Well, you got to think. I, I came up in an organization that still has problems with leadership, right? Redskins. I mean, mm -hmm. we still see the effects of bad leadership, right? And I think everybody around the league knows that. And I didn't understand that until I left. But I always would go back to myself, like, I got to take care of my business. I just block it out. I mean, I, it, I, I guess it's just the way I'm white. You know, I don't really think about things I can't control. Like, I can't control what they do. I just got to make sure I'm accountable. I handle my business and try to help guys along the way. I got better at it as I got older, but, you know, that's all I tried to concentrate on because nothing matters if I don't take care of my business. I mean, it's kind of like what uh, Belichick preaches, do your job. And, yeah. I mean, I live by that, I mean, before I ever heard it. And, I mean, that's just the way I was. Well, at Behind the Mask, we always say there's only one rule. There are no, no rules. rules. Yeah. <laughs> right? So right. you got drafted to the Redskins. Chocolate City. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we going all in right now. We're going behind the mask. 
What was it like in D.C. back then? We got Club Love. Remember, Love was out. Yeah. You know, you got Chocolate City, the little strip club. Yeah. How? Look at you. You reminiscing now. How, well, how did you stay focused see, and motivated? With oh, I used to fly up to D.C. and get it in with Big Chris, Samuel, yeah. CP, all these cats. Hey, thanks so, for the invite. You too. know what I mean? Yeah, you was kicking me out of house parties back then, so we ain't gonna get onto that. Damn. But um, <laughs> how did you stay motivated with uh, with all that going on? off the field and still stay focused to get ahead and, you know, and, and get it in on the field. Well, that's one thing about being an NFL player. There's going to be distractions, right? Yeah. There's always going to be some temptations out there, you know, and you feed into it from time to time again. But I'm telling you, why do you have those opportunities? Football. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, nothing matters unless you play the game. I mean, those games provided all those opportunities, all those temptations, all those obstacles come because of football. And I welcome those problems. Those are rich men problems. Mm. Like, why am I really worried about, you know, these temptations out here? Yeah, I might feed into it from time again, but I know how I got to this point. I know how what's going to kick doors open for me, and that's playing this game great. So I was able to grow up and go through all that, you know, all those distractions and come out on the other side, you know, with a lot more experience, you know, a lot more to tell these young guys about my mistakes and hopefully they don't make them. So, it, I mean, that's just how it keeps going. And, you know, you just got to always remember where your bread is buttered. And it was always football. So I never took my eye off of that. Rich man problems. <laughs> I love it. I love I it. Love it. <laughs> I, but it's real, though, because essentially you're looking at, listen, man, I, <laughs> I got drafted when I was 20, 21 years old. Yeah. I had poor man problems. <laughs> yeah. And for me, when it changed for me is when I, I asked my mom and dad, I was like, hey, man, how much y'all in debt? Like, I'm finna pull you out of this thing, man. We finna change it. Uh. 85 grand, G. You know what I'm saying? Supporting a household of four. So to be able to stroke that, I was like, this is a rich man problem that I can yeah. solve. And I'm going to solve it, God dang. So your parent, you got your parents out of debt? <clears throat> Yeah. Oh, my parents created more debt. Mm. I get, well, this. So, so yeah, you, <laughs> you press that reset button it. and go right back okay. into it, right? So, so, right, right. Okay. So, as good as that was for him, I mean, everything ain't always peachy once right. you sign that contract. Absolutely. You know, because family's a uh, yeah. family is a bitch. I mean, I'm telling you, family can be your downfall. Mm -hmm. So. How does my family create more debt when their son just signed for $5 million or whatever I got at the time? Which was a lot more than what you got, right? Yeah. I got three six. Man, I got 175000 What y'all talking about? Mr. Budget. <laughs> but but my, my point is, it's just that financial literacy. You know, yeah. it's just, I mean, you still have to deal with those issues. You don't get rid of it because you got a check. It just gets worse. Gets worse. <laughs> just gets worse. So, you know. That education is so important. And, you know, not having that growing up, I mean, I fed right into it. So if it wasn't for my second contract, who knows where Champ would have been, you know? Right. So it's just just one of those realities, man. It's it's not that easy, you know, just because you get money. It's not that easy because you got to bring – you want to take care of your family, right? You yeah. want to take – you want to take care of everybody in the community. Right. But, but everybody ain't your cousin. Everybody ain't your family. And you just got to – Try to make the wisest decisions possible. And when did you finally say no? When did you finally say, you know what? Nah, I can't do this no it more. It probably, maybe my third or fourth year in Denver. Mm. Like, it was, 
like seven, eight years in the league before I start got getting to the point where, I mean, because of course I signed a bigger contract. So the problems got even worse because I didn't nip it early enough. I was just too immature. I mean, I was 25 years old, you know, after, after my contract was up, I was 25. So, I mean, that most rookies are about 25. So it's like, you know, I really hadn't had time to grow up and learn. I mean, those experiences helped me. But at the same time, man, it, it just got worse. And then finally it started taking control. But fortunate enough for me, I played long enough to get over all that. Yeah. Champ, you secured the bag. You got the money, new money, 24 years old, 25 years old. Like, what's your thought process, man? I know you wanted to have fun. We all had fun together growing up and during those times, especially coming out of this great city of Atlanta. But, man, what is it like, man? Take us behind the mask on that. Well, it, it it's a lot of good, but, you know, a lot of good comes some bad. And, you know, the good things are, you know, you get to do whatever you want. Now, I'm, I'm at a point I'm, I'm free. You know, I, could, I can move around how I please, spend as much money and not worry about it. But, you know, there's obviously family comes with that, your community. You want to help people back home. Everybody becomes your cousin. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I felt like I became a therapist in some sort because you learn about everybody's problems, you know. So it's it's a lot of that, fishing through that and, and trying to figure out how to, you know, take care of my family and my community, but not at the detriment of losing everything that I have, you right. know. So... There was a balance there, and that's when, go back to that question, when did I start saying no? That's when I started having to say no, because now I got a little bit of money as a rookie, or I got a lot of money as a rookie, but now I got another windfall of money. People just think, oh, shoot, he, I mean, he got it all. So, I mean, I can't go broke, but they have no idea how quick yeah. that could happen. And, you know, you, I wish I would have reflected on some of the, you know, previous stories of guys that lost money and this and that to tell my family and educate them. But it all goes back to, man, it's, it's a process to educate people, especially when they're older, you, you're not going to change people's ways. And mm -hmm. you know, that aunt that, you know, don't have anything you want to take care of her. You give her a windfall of money. She's going to spend it. That's all she knows to do is spend. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's dealing with that and trying to create some balance. It was hard, but we got through it, you know, burned some bridges here and there. I mean, they actually burned them my way, but, I mean, that's how it is, man. You got to learn to tell people no real quick because not everybody has your best interest at heart. And having money is just going to create those issues, and it really reveals who people really are, mm. you know? Man, you talk about, excuse me, <clears throat> talk about the name Champ. And I know that's a lot to live up to, right? And obviously, first-round pick, all-decade, Hall of Fame. You, you did all of that on the field. So what motivates you now to still be a champ off the field since since retiring from the league? Well, just just doing what I did to be good at football. I mean, I think if I apply the same things to football I did to life and, you know, business, I could be just as successful or even more, you know. And, you know, I'm counting on that because all those values I learned in football, being accountable, playing with confidence, you know, teamwork, I mean, those are great qualities that apply to everything in life. And you think? <laughs> so Absolutely. I'm like, and then you play the ultimate team sport. I couldn't be more prepared for everything that you throw at me. So I think one thing I realized football's taught me when things aren't going bad or you know a relationship's bad, it's time to cut it. You know, you just got to cut it. And 
you know, that's friends. It doesn't matter who it is. You know, you just got to real talk. You just got to cut those things off, things that weigh you down and just try to surround yourself with smarter people, better people than yourself. And it's a constant challenge. But, you know, we live and learn. And I think I'm in a good place, but I want to be in a better place. So mm-hmm. I'm always striving for something better. No doubt. And My, then you, no, no, no. And you're doing some amazing things also um, with your alma mater, University of Georgia. Talk briefly about the players' reception and what is your goal behind that movement? Well, playing the game, you know, provided us a lot of opportunities, a lot of doors that opened that really wouldn't for a typical black man. And, you know, I just want to take advantage of those. But it's not just about me. And I think that goes back to, you know, trying to be a better leader. It's really showing guys what to do, getting them in the same room, talking about what I'm doing. What are you doing? How can I help you? You know, those little things mean a lot. And, you know, we have this thing we call, we well, I go by this thing called From the Feet Up. And it goes back to my football days. I talked about Dal Green and mm-hmm. how Dion, how they all were talking about, yeah, you could touch guys and put your hands on them, but it all starts with your feet. I mean, because if your foundation is not right, nothing's going to be right. Mm-hmm. Everything's shabby, you know. So I want things to be stable. So it's all about making sure you got the right foundation. That starts with my team, you know, how we run things, a system. I mean, it's not, I want to be able, if I can't run my business, we could plug somebody else in. You know, there's only one champ, but as a collection, I mean, we could be so powerful. I mean, I think, you know, you look at what LeBron has done. I mean, we talk about this all the time, me and my business partner. Like, he's done it because he's so big, but I'm like, yeah, I'm not LeBron, but imagine if two or three people like me got together. Mm-hmm. We could be just as big or bigger. So we got to continue to gather, and that's what the player's reception is all about, getting guys in the <coughs> same room, connecting them with fans, corporate guys, just so we can figure out how we monetize these relationships that we built throughout the years and also do business together. I mean, we all have great work ethic. Let's continue that, and let's do business with good people. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, my last question I got for you, um, even though you finished up Hall of Fame career, are there any regrets throughout your career that you would like to go back and say, you know what, maybe ideally I could change this, even though I know I may still be a Hall of Famer? You know, I think uh, the sensitive side of me goes back there sometimes, you know, where you're like, dang, if I would have did that or. But then I check myself because it's <laughs> I just I just walk I walk in my closet <laughs> I unzip that Hall of Fame bag and I see that right so so, so so you know so sure. I mean that's 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 all the validation I need about anything related to my career because mm-hmm. all those bumps and bruises injuries all the losses you know all the bad games all the bad coaches none of that matters now <laughs> that 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 actually propelled me to putting that jacket on. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if I change any of that, I mean, who knows what would have happened? It would have steered me the wrong way. I don't know. But I ended up on a trajectory to get that jacket, and I got it, and I'm proud of it. I don't care what happened along the way. I mean, I got I got the ultimate prize, you know? Right. No doubt. Do you have a stunt and like, you know— we might go to the mailbox in the morning with the robe. Oh, you ever God. go to the mailbox with the ro- with the Hall of Fame jacket on? No, but I'm going to do that tomorrow, though. <laughs> Make sure you have somebody taking pictures. Oh, better sure. believe put it. it on put, the it, put it on the gram. You got that? 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> no, he he think I'm calling him. <laughs> we appreciate the time oh, yeah. for taking us behind the mask for the Champ Bailey special edition, man. We really appreciate the time. And and uh, you know what? I got one more question for you. My last question is this. Uh, we m- briefly mentioned about what you were trying to accomplish at the Hall of Fame by making that speech and calling on all of our white teammates who sit in that locker room and know and understand what we go through. Have you heard what type of response? Did you get any type of response from some of your teammates? I'm glad you asked that question because that's what it matters, right? right. The that's reaction. what matters, the reaction. Yeah, yeah, the reaction. Okay, so, oh, man, how do I put this? Okay, where I live, you know, I don't see a lot of me. You know, I don't see a lot of black men. So I expect something. I expect somebody to say something. Now, I invited a lot of my white friends to this thing. They all had great things to say. They all loved it. I mean, I got texts from people that I never met before. But there are some people out there that just... Reluctant to change. Oh, oh, great. Congrats on the Hall of Fame. I know damn well they heard my speech, but they won't say anything. Mm. But I take note of that, and I just know there's more work to do. You know, there's just more work to do. It's just, we just got more work to do. It's not going to happen overnight. I can't be the only one saying it, you know? We just all got to say something. All got to do something on some level, bring more awareness to it. And at some point, maybe it'll take shape. I, if, if that person don't get it, maybe the kids will. Yeah. You know, because that's one thing I did notice. One of my friends say, I've never had this conversation. One of my white friends, he said, I've never had this conversation with my two twin boys. They're nine years old. But when they heard you speak because they look up to you, mm-hmm. now they want to talk about it. Mm. He would have never brought it up because he don't know how. Right. But now he knows how, and I enable him to do that. Great. So that's that means more than anything, you know, because now, rather I change his mind or get him to listen, I bet his kids would be different mm. and better off. You know, I, I just that's all I care about, you know, just trying to, you know, joggle your mind and think, make you think of things a little differently yeah. in, in, a, in a better way. That's dope, and you're using your platform for positivity right. to affect the next generation. That's amazing. Tell the behind the mask viewers, listeners, how they can fi- uh, follow you, keep up with you on all the uh, social media platforms if they want to reach you. Okay. Very active on Instagram, the Champ Bailey. Uh, follow me there. Also. If you want to text me, quick response, 404-994-8030. You're giving out Oh, my goodness. He's giving out the, the digits. digits. He got, can I get your social just... Did you, did you hear me? I said, <laughs> said 404-994-8030. Hit me up anytime. Dang. Of course, man. You... you you know how to find me. I get the social security. <laughs> I'm, I'm I just, very. I want part of that bag yeah, you got. Any, anybody one. who knows me know I'm very easy to get <laughs> to. Open up some credit cards. You know. <laughs> now I don't know. I don't know about all that. Nah, 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 I got you, man. But nah. Hey, thank you for sharing your stories, right. bro. And uh, we appreciate everybody listening because we took you behind the mask today. And best believe, what came up is exactly what came out. That's what we do. Appreciate you, Chad. Thank y'all, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.